Hello, and welcome to Farmers Capital Conversations. I'm your host, Casey Silveria. This podcast aims to expand your social, intellectual, and economic capital. Investing on and off the farm is hard enough. Here, we will provide insightful stories and resources to help out. Full transparency, this is our shameless way for you to like us and hopes you partner with us down the road. Lastly, there are no ads here. All I ask is you enjoy and share if you find value. Now, on to the episode. The market, the market seasonality, right? So a lot of our owners are always like, hey, where should we buy? Where should we buy? Where should we buy? Why is this a good market? AirDNA says this is a good market. Well, it says, we say, okay, look, AirDNA says it's a good market. How many Airbnb investors are using AirDNA? Okay. Of that, how many are looking to go buy in the top 10 markets? Okay, great. You have saturation. All right. Where are you going to go next? That's where we come in and we say, okay, look, there are two different types of markets you can go to here. You can either go to a utilitarian market, which is our bread and butter. That's what we absolutely love. Or you can go to a seasonal market. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another show of Farming for Passive Income. I'm your host, Casey Silveria. Today, we are joined by Hirsch Rye. He is the Chief Growth Officer of Serenity Stays, a boutique Airbnb management company. So, Hirsch, excited to have you on and sharing your perspective on the Airbnb space and commercial real estate at large. Welcome. Yeah, no, Casey, super stoked to be here. When you reached out, I was like, let's go. Going to be on another podcast, but I love the spin on this one with, you know, the bucolic and, you know, focus on farming in the rural community. I think it's super important to be able to, you know, touch different people within, you know, the United States and those that mold us. So really excited to share the story and uh, add value to your listeners if possible. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again for being on. I'm selfishly a little bit you know, very interested in the Airbnb space. You know, it's gotten a hot, a lot of hot press, it seems like in the, in the media and, you know, in local communities, we're wondering how to balance you know, providing affordable living while also creating cool experiences for engendering that tourist income in various markets across the United States. So I'm very interested in your perspective um, on how you're doing it and really the genesis of all of it. So if you don't mind, maybe just give us a quick um, background on how'd you get started in this industry? Sure. So back in January of 2022, a couple partners and I both being veteran or active duty all had owned a series of short-term rentals within a couple different markets. And we had gone through a series of different management companies, whether they're local or whether they're one of the larger firms in, you know, Vacasa or Evolve. And we just weren't satisfied with the level of care and attention to detail that was being put into the property. So one of the individuals on the team, Charlie Cameron, he's the chief operating officer for us, started to build out a construct in which we could self-manage, but do it from a virtual environment. And so we built that out. We found pretty large success within our own team. And we said, okay, let's try to expand this out to, you know, different types of people and different owners who are looking for a bit of, you know, investor type mindset by just, Hey, you know, it's my second home. Don't really care how much I'm making off of it. We want to make sure that people are able to live and enjoy the home that they have and have that unique experience. Like you talked about Casey, but also allow others to enjoy that as well, whether they're guests or vendors or tenants alike. So the company was founded on that philosophy to provide serene stays for all those who we affiliate with. The company itself has since pivoted, as you said, from short-term rental into mid-term rental management as well. And the reason for that, and we can get into it a little bit later, is the local municipalities being able to provide that affordable housing, identifying the gap in housing and the absorption that's happening in certain markets. And also just people not necessarily wanting these Airbnbs within their local street. They say it's too much 
it's too much chaos. It's too much going on mm-hmm. in the community. They just want somebody who that they know for 12 months are going to be locked in by you know new guests coming in, causing a ruckus, potentially partying happening. Again, this is your 1% of Airbnb guests who spoil it for the rest of the community. But again, Typical. one bad person can, you know, turn something into a nightmare. But, you know, we're more than happy to provide the management solutions to avoid that. And uh, that's what we focus on. Okay, cool. So you're kind of focusing on, are you really helping different bases of clients, really? You you have your short-term and your mid-term people with a second home and you're offering a service maybe in the six months of the year that they're not living there to maybe offset their mortgage payments or just make sure like it's being managed professionally. And then you have the other side of it where you're helping investors also, you know, put their capital to work for, for them in risk adjusted returns or in an attempt to create risk adjusted returns. It seems like. So uh, there's two lenses here. I think one is serenity stays, which is purely management aspect. Like you said, on the first part, the second, which, you know, we won't dive into this much or this time is similar to what you do with, the syndication and joint venture space, offering those types of you know investment opportunities to other individuals in the space who are looking to grow their portfolio, but not necessarily wanting to be an active investor, which is on the Rivu side of things. So I guess one can say I do do both, but for the lens of this conversation, I think it's only going to be focused on management, what we do in-house and how we better provide those solutions for people who either own a portfolio that they're looking to transition. I mean, for example, we had a client the other day who owns a series of long-term rentals within Claiborne, Texas, a really small market outside of Dallas, about 36,000 people, nine to 10 long-term rentals and said, hey, I want to get a little bit more exposure with cash flow and have a little bit more on hand every month. Do you think short-term rentals would work in this market? So that's where we can help dive in and say, this is our analysis. This is what we're able to offer. This is where we think your income projections are going to be at. And then this is what the game plan or the battle rhythm is going to be for the next six to 12 mm-hmm. months until stabilization. So, Okay. Yeah. That's interesting because that's a very small market to think of like an Airbnb portfolio. Right. No, absolutely. So we don't necessarily just say, okay, we want to take anything and everything, right? We are very selective with the types of properties we take on because we understand as investors, right? It might just be easier to have a long-term tenant in there for six to 12 months on a steady lease that you're not worried about by having a larger amount of occupancy or excuse me, vacancy that you might not be able to account for in these smaller markets, Right. I guess the question we look for is one, is it a utilitarian market, which we can dive into here in a bit? What's the seasonality offset? What exactly are the big events that are happening within the space or within that area, right? So if you go to Speedway, Indiana, for example, Indy 500, big game day weekend, right? But what else goes on at Speedway, Indiana? Not really a whole lot, if I'm going to be completely honest. I mean, it's a B-class suburb (laughs) of Indianapolis, right? So, you know, it just really depends on where you're at, what you're looking to do, and what the community fosters or provides to be able to manage that short-term rental and actually provide an experience. Again, getting back to government, what their influence is, what future you know politicians may hold within the space as well. So, mm-hmm. so are you kind of pivoting more to that midterm to solve multiple pain points? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So we really found out that post-2021 pandemic time, Airbnb started to see a large decrease in the occupancy over the year. I think a lot of people started to go back into the office. Some people started to actually work again and not just go on their you know, dream vacation in their van across the United States. There was a larger amount of Airbnbs coming online 2021, 2022, just due to the you know, low interest rate environment, people being able to have excess cash on hand with liquidity, being able to buy up these assets. And so we realized just across our own management portfolio, our own management portfolio, as well as those we manage for clients, that 
bookings were definitely seeing a drop and, you know, we were not able to handle the offset there as well as we are able to now. I mean, things have rebounded since then, but we've also refined our management practices. Again, this is early when the company first started. But through that, we identified a couple different pain points that we could offset seasonality with, or we could potentially get, you know, 1.5, 2x market rent, four different types of properties being the midterm rental space. And again, right, a lot of podcasts have been talking about, you know, having the traveling nurses or the traveling medical professionals or scientists. Us being in the veteran community, we understand that there are a large amount of military members who are constantly going on what we call TDY or temporary duty to different locations, right? So being able to cater to those types of individuals. We've made partnerships with insurance housing specialists across the nation that we can reach out to and say, hey, we have a property that's located here. Do you guys have anyone that's looking for, you know, temporary relief for housing uh, on an immediate basis? For example, we just placed a tenant in a property last week uh, in Millington, Tennessee, out of Covington, Tennessee. So the, you know, hurricane, hurricane excuse me, the uh, tornadoes that affected the region had offset these this couple. And, you know, now they're in there on a four month lease through the summer with a month to month on the back end paying you know, a pretty good premium comparison to market rent for what Millington, Tennessee offers. So, you know, that's mm-hmm. a couple of the different value add strategies that we have in place, you know, for the midterm rental offset. And, you know, we're also harboring on our own experience. I own 20 midterm rental units in Little Rock, Arkansas, catering to University of Arkansas Medical Science Campus. So we've been able to, you know, utilize my owner operated experience into translation for, you know, these types of midterm rentals and the offset we're able to produce there. So, Okay. Yeah. seems like there's a lot, well, not as much turnover as say a a three night, four night stay on a prime weekend and then throughout the year, but but it still sounds like a lot of management. So how are you guys kind of creating, creating those efficiencies within your firm to be able to provide or alleviate those pain points? Sure. You want me to focus on the STR side or the MTR side or you want me to go into both? Um, Yeah, both would be great. Sure. Um, But yeah, go for it. Okay. Yeah. So I don't, I think efficiency is a great way to put it, but I think, you know, when you first start a company, right, you're either going to, you know, bootstrap it and try to do everything on your own, or you're going to try to, you know, spend a lot of money and, you know, bolster revenue on the back end, right? You look at a lot of these larger startup companies, not necessarily with the real estate space, but within the tech space that get venture capital funding, they have a burn to loss, and then they eventually make it up on the back end, hopefully. For our company, we realized upfront that we need to deliver a significant amount of value to clients to basically offer what we know is going to be a premium package that you're not going to find elsewhere, like attention to detail, personalized level of care. So we utilize a platform to put our properties on three different short-term rental exposure markets. So Airbnb, Booking.com, Burbo, to really get the maximum exposure, right? We found a lot of European individuals who come and visit the United States use booking.com more than Airbnb. We found Verbo is used hmm. across a, you know, boomer type category for people who are looking to book their short-term rental experience just because it's been longer. It's been utilized longer than Airbnb. And I think it's hooked up to Expedia and a couple of their different travel sites. Airbnb is a standalone. That's what you and I know, right? That's what we love. That's what we love to go toward uh, if you're not looking for the hotel stay. So that's one side of things. We also have like an e-concierge team 24-7 around the clock support, you know, that guests could call for any types of questions that they have about the property, about the area. We always have someone manning the phone there. I mean, efficiencies, we are a fully virtual company. Okay. So anything and everything that we're able to do is all done virtually. And we really rely on our in-market partners to be our cleaner, our handyman, our other professional vendors that we utilize in the space. And, you know, apps as simple as Instacart, TaskRabbit, DoorDash, right? These are all your best friend, okay, in the short-term rental management space, right? 
guest needs toilet paper. Okay, great. Why do I need to go hire a guy for 20 bucks to go pick up toilet paper from the store when I can just door dash it real quick to the address, get it to them, ready to go at the door, no fringes attached, right? So it's really just mm-hmm. thinking outside the box for us about being like, okay, who can we utilize that has critical thinking abilities to bring in-house to our team? And then from there, farm out the management responsibilities as needed to counteract and measure as well. So that's a different style or different mold. I mean, I think we have a lot of different apps and technologies that we're using that make us a little bit more streamlined in our approach. But again, we're always refining and fine tuning our, our management practices. They're not perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? We're always trying to find ways to improve. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you guys ever leverage like local boots on the ground or do you really try and focus, you know, most of it um, online? So like I was saying, right, the local boots on the ground are really going to come from, you know, second or third pair of eyes coming from, yeah. you know, the handyman or the cleaner, because these right. guys are actively going into the property. And what's great about Airbnb and the short-term rental space in general, even the mid-term rental space, depending on the platform that you're booking through, whether it's Furnished Finder or Zumper, is that you have multiple sets of eyes that can go at any point in time, right? I mean, with a long-term rental, there are other, you know, jurisdictions or, you know, lockups and a lease agreement saying, hey, you can only go into the tenant's property if, you know, you feel like there's a cause or whatever. For short-term yeah. rentals, I mean, they're they're pretty much locked in. You're there. You can go in. You can allow whoever you want in at any time. And so, you know, don't don't quote me on that, by the way. But, um, you know, we, <laughs> we, we you know, it, it, for example, a guest says they have a leak in the pipe, right? Okay, great. You know, we had a we had a prospective client call the other day and say, okay, how do you know the handyman's not charging you, you know? three times what market rent is going to be or excuse me, three times what market rate is going to be. So we say, okay, well, one, the tenant sends us a picture. Two, the cleaner is probably going to go in there and say the same thing. Have they already not? And then three, the handyman that we call is going to be asked to send us a picture and give us what their scope of responsibility is. And again, we vet these handymen or women early on, right? Before Mm -hmm. we even take on the property, just to make sure that they're reliable, they're trustworthy. We get recommendations, we get, um, preferences and you know references and all those types of things so i think there's so many sites that have even handymen like that are already vetted and they're already um background checked and everything like that exactly so you know it makes our process a whole lot easier so you know with different accounts coming into play we leverage the boots on the ground as needed to do those types of things in some markets we do have like preferred agents that we might work with right individuals that are like looking to take on a little bit more work or just want the hustle. And, you know, maybe they offer us a listing and we take over the management for them. But, um, you know, these are individuals that, you know, we could call at a moment's notice in case we need that, you know, third or fourth set of eyes, but it usually never comes down to that. We're pretty, we're pretty good at identifying our vendors within the space and being able to counteract and, you know, go with them. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it's good strategy. You're leveraging the work that a ton of people have already done through vetting these handymen and they have their own processes that are their own specific value add plan. So when you reach out to them, you're already, you, you benefit from all the work that they've already been putting in. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's so right. And I think, you know, with a lot of the different background checks and verification checks and just the free amount of data that exists on Google, right? You type in somebody's Google business. If they're not on there, people are sketched out nowadays, right? If you don't have a Google business profile or if you're not on Yelp or if you're not, you know, seen on Google maps with a brick and mortar address, people are like, okay, hold up. How do I know this guy? Then where would people go? Facebook. Facebook's a great way to look at leads and reviews as well. So, you know, if you don't have an online exposure, it's pretty much saying, okay, we're on to the next person because we want to make sure that they're, you know, able to be contacted and timely and, you know, they really care about 
you know, the reputation within the local market. You know, that's kind of the best way to vet, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks for that, Hirsch. Um, so if you don't mind, I'd love to just go back a little bit. You know, you mentioned you are, are you currently working for the United States Naval Academy or were you in there? So, okay. So I, I did undergrad at the Naval Academy in Annapolis. I'm currently okay. active duty Navy stationed in Hawaii, uh, working as a meteorology okay. officer. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for the service first and foremost. Thank you for yeah. And, um, so how do you, do you leverage any of that knowledge or like process or just like the mindset? Do you incorporate the two into what you're trying to do now from what you were learning in the academy? Yeah, that's a good, that's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that. I think a lot of what I learned about the academy was one, how to build interpersonal relationships, two, how to endure different hardships and work your way through them in an effective manner. And three, knowing when to ask for help. I think those three things alone have really helped us transcend this business. And like I mentioned earlier, all the managing partners are either active duty or veteran right now. So there's four or five of us all being active duty or veteran. And um, we all have a pretty common mindset in being able to tackle problems head on together and not letting the pressure get to us, you know, when there's a downturn within the Airbnb market or when we're not able to convert on a client lead or when there's a problem at a property, take a step back, respond, don't react, think about the problem, then respond be able to go through the correct set of metrics that you already have in place. We've built out standards of procedure and SOPs is like what we like to call them very military term mm-hmm. in order to, you know, build out these types of systems and then go into place. So I'd say those are the three main takeaways in terms of the direct impact on the business. There have definitely been situations, you know, whether we're dealing with guests or whether we're looking to expand our role or influence within a market where we are able to leverage our military network, our commercial real estate network and identify people, you know, just like you would at a, you know, from an alumni you might know from your alma mater or, you know, someone that you met at a trade school a couple of years ago, whatever, right? Networking is so huge in the, in the um, business world and the real estate world that, mm-hmm. you know, the connections twofold within the military have just been so large and so easy to make just because you come from that common mold and common background. It really helps us connect with different mm-hmm. people and different operators and different people uh, from different walks of life. So that's probably the best way I'd say it's impacting the business. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I love your your comment on just asking for help when because you guys don't just like me, I don't say I know everything. I definitely do not. And there is experts in very niches and areas of responsibility that, like you said, you're the chief growth officer of Serenity Stays, but there's three, four other guys who are doing something else on a regular basis to make this machine work, right? Right. Exactly. So, you know, they're couple different people, you know, we have operations, we have lead generation and growth, which is me, we have strategy and partnerships, we have compliance, we have financial. So, you know, all encompassing, we have, you know, what the bare bones C-suite is what we like to call it is, or just the partnership levels. But, you know, everyone understanding that this is a quote unquote startup or newly found company, you know, only having been a little bit over a year now, is that people are still double dipping into other people's responsibilities and not necessarily you know, infringing in their space, but more so having a collaborative way to tackle and solve these problems, right? I might be too wrapped mm-hmm. up for, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, balancing my Navy job and trying to work on the business and, you know, also trying to maintain some semblance of a social life and, you know, maintaining I got to quit sleep and watching yeah. over myself that somebody else might need to come in and, you know, assist with responsibility. So like, that's where asking for help is so important, right? Don't, don't let things be solved on your own. Be, be okay with knowing that there are other people to help you, especially within a business that you're looking to build with other people. So. Yeah, it's it's a team sport. Exactly. That's that's yeah. the best way to put it, for sure. Yeah. 
Well, cool. Um, what are some challenges that you are looking at going forward in either markets that you are currently invested in or ones that you're looking to, you know, diversify into? That's, that's a really, really good question. So I think for the Airbnb space specifically, and I think this is going to be a really good time to touch on this is one, the local municipalities, state governments, county governments, having a large influence in the housing market more than we've probably ever seen in the past, especially with the way that short-term rentals are constantly blowing up across the nation. I mean, sure, if you look at the 2021 AirDNA report to the 2023 AirDNA report that the company releases, the amount of Airbnb bookings has skyrocketed, right? I don't have an yeah. exact percentage, but I'm sure you've seen it even within yeah. your local market in Boise, right? A lot of people wanting to buy in these, you know, smaller rural submarkets where they can buy an excess amount of land in a really beautiful area host it on Airbnb, make their income, enjoy it as their second family home or their vacation home, or even just as a pure rental uh, property and let it be, right? People just want to do that, especially a lot of the East Coast buyers, like East Coast, coastal buyers who are moving more into the Great Plains and the Midwest wanting to, you know, really maximize their dollar value. So mm -hmm. that's the first thing. And then the second thing, and it's something that I want to touch on is what we call the, the market, the market seasonality, right? So a lot of our owners are always like, hey, where should we buy? Where should we buy? Where should we buy? Why is this a good market? AirDNA says this is a good market. Well, it says, we say, okay, look, AirDNA says it's a good market. How many Airbnb investors are using AirDNA? Okay. Of that, how many are looking to go buy in the top 10 markets? Okay, great. You have saturation. All right. Where are you going to go next? That's where we come in and we say, okay, look, there are two different types of markets you can go to here. You can either go to a utilitarian market, which is our bread and butter. That's what we absolutely love. Or you can go to a seasonal market. Okay. Utilitarian market is a market where you're going to have people come in day in and day out on the clock, whether it's for seasonality purposes, whether, you know, they're going to visit, for example, let's just say Indianapolis. Okay. Indianapolis, nobody really knows about it, right? Small market in the Midwest. You know, it's a larger city. I went to graduate school at Purdue. So, you know, spent a lot of time in Indianapolis, very familiar. Okay. Indianapolis hosted, I believe, March Madness in 2022, if I'm not correct, if, not, if I'm not incorrect. They have the, you know, they have the Colts, they have the Pacers. They are the largest convention mm -hmm. city in the United States, right? So in the city of Indianapolis itself, you have a lot of traveling, working professionals going to the city day in, day out. You have people traveling there for sporting events, work events, people just coming to stay and visit family, right? That's a utilitarian market. And actually, Indiana is one of the most business-friendly states in the entire nation because they have basically said at a state level, Airbnbs are never going to be banned from the state. So if you want to invest, go to Indianapolis. You heard it here first. All right. Second, there right? you go. <laughs> the, uh, the utilitarian market has allowed us to both express a short-term rental and mid-term rental strategy and have a lot of exposure on both ends, right? So, you know, as we look at these markets, yeah, they might not be getting you the highest ADR or average daily rate, as you might see for like a, you know, six bedroom that's Star Wars themed at Disney, right? And Kissimmee. Okay, cool. You have a great market there. And, you know, Disney is year round as well, but you also do have lulls, right? Summer's great, but fall picks up, kids are going back to school. And then Disney hits again when December hits and, you know, you have all the people going, right? Utilitarian market, not the case. Steady flow, steady outflow, people coming in, people going out, people looking to be on extended contracts if needed. And a lot of people in the utilitarian markets we find like to extend their stay. And it's been like a couple of times just mm. progressively going and going and going. So that's the utilitarian market. And then the second seasonality, I mean, you can you can pretty much name any seasonal market that comes to the top of your head. I mean, one that comes to mind is Panama City Beach, right? Spring break. Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome time. Awesome. March through August, you're having a good time. After Labor Day, your bookings are going to decrease unless you, you know, have a company that's able to, you know, either put in snowbirds or, you know, get those long-term rentals in there on the sixth month. So mm -hmm. now kind of going back to um, 
the local municipalities, something we're really scared of here is how local municipalities are really starting to weigh down on what regulations are coming in to define what a short-term stay is, right? Earlier in the year or earlier, you know, meaning years ago, five, six years ago, nobody was really doing any type of legislation. It was under 30-day stay. Okay, you had to pay like the hotel tax and that was it, right? Now, municipalities are putting in these certificates of occupancy that you need to have in there. You need to get an inspection with the fire marshal. You need to get an inspection with the public planning works department, right? Depending on the side of the city. And this could take weeks because they're so backed up, right? They also have other responsibilities, not just doing Airbnb. Remember, local municipalities don't have a lot of money. They're, you know, strapped on manpower just to like a lot of government agencies. So that's one thing we're concerned about, right? Just like working with those local municipalities. Every time we get into a new market, we like to see what's on the docket, right? At a local, state, and county level just to make sure that we're not getting into a market where we're like, okay, shoot, they just passed legislation two months later. We can't act, operate as an Airbnb, right? So what defines a short-term rental stay, mid-term rental stay, what the upcoming legislation is. And, you know, we'll, we'll help you monitor that. Again, a lot of it comes on the owner, but a lot of it does come on us too if we want to research new markets that we want to expand into. And then, you know, the second being, you know, market seasonality. You can't control that, right? You know how the market's going to go and where people end up staying, mm-hmm. but you can, you can offset it by getting into the right markets in the right mold. Yeah, I love that idea of utilitarian markets. I've been very interested in those types of markets as well and ha- haven't really had anyone on the show really talking about them like you do, but I agree. I look at markets that maybe they're not crazy like Austin, Texas or Phoenix. You know, They don't have 10, 20% growth in rents and a ton of people flooding in, but I am very interested in markets where they're growing one to 2% clips a year. People are moving in, people are moving out, but overall people are always moving in there gradually. Like you said, people are visiting for conferences or something, Kansas city, Indianapolis, um, looking at Madison right now, Omaha, twin cities, you know, exactly these markets, you know, there's a lot of in and out. No, absolutely. And I mean, I'd say even like, we were talking about right the the Midwest and the and the and the Great Plains are just phenomenal spots to invest. I'm not saying go to Denver, but I'm also not saying don't go to you know Cheyenne, Wyoming. I think that's what mm-hmm. that is. But you know, I think the other the other you know point that I want to make here is that you know there are a lot of great markets. You just kind of ex- expand your realm a little bit, right? Don't just read what the top AirDNA report is, right? Read what the top commercial real estate market is. Read what the top short term rental or midterm rental market is read what the top single family home market is for investing. Right. And maybe, you know, listen to five different five to 10 different podcasts on people talking about where they invest. Do you see a common trend anywhere? Where's that common trend is in the Southeast geographically. Okay. Maybe you want to go to Birmingham. Maybe you want to go to Savannah. Maybe you want to go to Jacksonville or Tallahassee. These are markets that I would invest in. That's why I'm saying them, but I wouldn't necessarily go mm-hmm. to, you know, surf city, North Carolina or Hilton head, because I know the short term rental space is already saturated in their season. Right. But if I go to Asheville, North Carolina, or if I go to Memphis, Tennessee, or Little Rock, I mean, these are all great markets to be in because, you know, larger population size, utilitarian market, offset of seasonality, that's what people are looking for, right? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, try and decrease your risk when it comes to seasonality. Exactly. And price per door is also a lot cheaper, you know, than in comparison to Austin or Denver or Phoenix and, you know, all these markets that are blowing up just day in, day out. And obviously a correction will be coming. People have been saying that on podcasts now for years, but it'll be coming eventually. Yeah. So, but then we've also for like a decade invest in the smile states. Everyone, everyone's moving there. And definitely when COVID hit all about the smile states and then everyone kind of forgot about everything above the smile states. 
Exactly. Yeah, the Sun Belt style states, whatever you want to call it, people are just kind of losing their their focus there. But I think I think you're going to start seeing a large amount of of buyers move to those markets as you know other markets start to become a lot more saturated. But again, people are also putting pause on what things you know what's going to happen. I mean, Feds are going to increase interest rates. I mean, we're recording May first. Tomorrow's May second. I think they're going to increase by 25 bips. But you know, we'll see where the market goes. <laughs> yeah, definitely will. Um, back back to the local you. you municipalities can't speak for sure. some reason um how are you getting in t- contact with them and you know trying to figure out the certificate of occupancy situation you know what they're thinking about how to handle the airbnb situation and then the mid to long term like how does your company view those relationships and how are you you know just really just talking with them yeah no that's a that's a great question and i think you know just in the day to day we really just try to look for their local website first, right? That's the best touch point really. And so looking at the local website, you can really identify if they're like a short-term friendly market or not. If they don't have any legislation on short-term rental management or short-term rental, you know, in general within the area, you can pretty much guarantee that your short-term rentals are allowed. Okay. That's just the way it is. But if you're seeing a lot of action or a lot of, you know, different constraints being put on, then you know, short-term rentals are at the top of their mind and maybe a deeper conversation is sought, right? A lot of these utilitarian markets, they might not necessarily have as much legislation in bigger cities. They definitely do, but it's usually pretty concrete. This is how it is. This is how it's not. So I think first thing, look at the local municipality, local municipality website. I like you cannot speak today. Okay. <laughs> so that's the first thing. Second, look at the meeting notes that have been happening with the economic development council, the public and planning commission boards and see what comments have been made at those meetings, right? Has there been talk about, Hey, you know, there's a housing shortage. I've had a lot of owners come to me or like my constituents being like, Hey, you know, this is not what we want. We don't want as many short-term rental owners. We want primary homeowners who want to build a, you know, stabilized homestead here. So, you know, look for those types of conversations. You can usually find them on the meeting minutes and, you know, you have to just a control F Airbnb, short-term rental, um, you know, legislation, whatever you need to find to do that. Now, if you're not able to find much and you only can see like they need a certificate of occupancy, these are the individuals to contact or like this is the department to contact. Usually what I like to do if it's a mainstream number is identify what branch it's calling into, then look at the email directory. Most all government or local municipalities have an email directory that you can go through and find like the city planner or the public works and planning director, or, you know, maybe there's a director of you know short-term stays or director of, mm-hmm. you know, real estate management. I don't know. Um, yep. you know, and then that's how you can really, you know, pinpoint a person, get on the phone call with them 15, 20 minutes, talk about who you are, what you're doing. And you'd be surprised how receptive some of these individuals are because, you know, a lot of the owners just don't know what to do. So they just go in, they slap, you know, some furniture on an Airbnb, on Airbnb, put up a three, two listing. And then they're like, you know, getting emails from this, this local city because they do check, they do check and they're like, why do you have yeah. an Airbnb listing? Right. And then they're, you know, <laughs> yeah. And then you get it taken down by Airbnb or the government. So that's that's probably the best way to do it, right? Just start with the local government, identify a point of contact, get on their books, 15, 20 minutes, talk to them about who you are, what you're doing, and see if they have any insights. If they're like, yeah, hey, look, we don't think it's the best play for you right now. We've had a lot of influx of people in the short-term rental space. We're actually looking to decrease or like grandfather on what we already have and we're not offering anything new. Okay, great. You made your conversation. You got the market data that you needed before making a $100,000 mistake, right? 20-minute conversation. So that's it. It's so smart. I mean, back to what we were talking about earlier, like this is a team sport and that 
also includes the local representatives and the people yep. who are managing our tax dollars and figuring out zoning plans and the COs and all of that stuff. And if you do exactly like you just said, you reach out to them and build a relationship, they're going to tell you more than you wanted to know in the first place, more yeah. than likely. Exactly. And I think the other the other side of the coin here, and this is me talking from my private equity side of things, is that you can get a lot of data. And what I what I like to call is like secret data. I mean, there's no such thing as insider trading really in the real estate space, but being able to learn what the local representatives know about what's coming into an area, right, is super mm -hmm. valuable. If they're like, oh, by the way, there's a new hospital that's coming online in 2025 that's going to be located here. Whoa, let me start looking at houses within a five minute walk of that area to be able to do so. And so that's that's really what it comes down to, right? Being able to yeah. just foster these relationships and build them and grow them. So. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people don't even do that. Yeah. Even though it's, it could be one email or one phone call. Exactly. It's just one touch point. One touch point is all you need. And if it's not the right person, go hit up somebody else, right? It's just about mm -hmm. putting in the reps, putting in the sets. And then once you have that individual that you go to, then that's it. You've made the connection. You've built the relationship. If you go visit them out in town, you have somebody to visit, bring them out to lunch, bring them out to coffee, learn a little bit more about them, what they're doing. And you know, you'd be surprised about who you'll meet just through one connection within a market. It's crazy. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. But highly yeah, recommend. Is that five degrees or something? Like it's, you know yeah. everyone in the world with like five people? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, someday I want to test that. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I know Brad Pitt somehow. Yeah. yeah right. Through that. your like sixth, maybe through your sixth <laughs> friend that you met back in like elementary school. And like now they're, you know, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Exactly. Well, Hirsch, I appreciate your insights today. I think it's been super valuable, really good um, takeaways and very specific and actionable. If, if someone wants to come in and you know look at Airbnbs or execute an Airbnb strategy within the local market, or just understanding more on how you and Serenity Stays thinks about your business and how to go execute your, your thesis really. So um, I'd love to, if you, do you have anything you'd like to leave with us? Like one thing you'd like to leave our listeners with today before we sign off? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the best thing to say is, you know, just don't let one podcast deter you away from doing something that you want to do right now. The markets are at a point where people are either pencils down or they're, you know, hungry and just buying. So, you know, you do what you, you know, feels right to you know that, a good deal is going to be good as long as you trust your numbers and you know that, you know, you're ready to act and execute. So don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. Just, you know, think about who's giving the advice, what their reputation is. If they don't own any properties, probably don't listen to them. Okay. That's my advice. <laughs> that's solid advice. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, where can people get a hold of you, Hirsch? Yeah. Uh, three different ways. Uh, one, you can connect with us on the website, serenitystays.com. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. Uh, you can also email me personally, Hirsch at serenitystays.com. If you uh, want to connect a little bit more professionally, find me on LinkedIn, Hershry, H-E-R-S-H-R-A-I. I'm the only one, eight letters. It's super easy. Can't miss it. So, Love it. Well, thank you, Mr. Rye. I appreciate it once again. And to all the listeners, thank you for listening, staying till the end. And we look forward to providing another episode in the future. All right. Thanks again, Hirsch. Thanks for having me on, Casey. Pleasure. All right. See you guys. Bye.